What's up, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the Inking Out Loud podcast. I'm your host, Rob Santos, joined, as I always am, of course, by my co-host, Drew McCaffrey. How's it going, everybody? And today, we are lucky enough to have not one, not two, but three special guests with us, all returning. The first being Lauren McCaffrey, Drew's wife. Thanks for coming back, Lauren. (laughs) Absolutely. Another triumphant return comes from Mr. Gene McCaffrey himself, who graced us with his presence for the Crossroads of Twilight episode we had. Welcome back to the show, Gene. Hey. And I'm okay of course, now, but less because I'm in rough shape. <laughs> well, we also have Pat the Sound Guy joining us again today. Pat, you've been on quite a few of our episodes. Thanks again for making time for us. What's up, Pat? Anytime, but I'm super excited for this one. Right, exactly. Now... This one being this one. They are all joining us today because we are getting into the good stuff, which is to say the second novel of The Gap Cycle, Stephen R. Donaldson's Forbidden Knowledge. For today's episode, we read everything up to and including chapter 11. So now, introductions are out of the way. Drew, kick us off with our weekly recap. Absolutely. The Gap into Vision, Forbidden Knowledge, picks up during the events at the end of The Real Story. Nick Sicorso and the crew of the Captain's Fancy make their way off of Combine Station with Morn Highland in tow, unaware that she has a zone implant, and Angus Thermopylae is arrested by station security. Morn, knowing that Nick will want her to sleep with him, hurries to learn how to properly use her zone imp- implant control. She needs a setting that will disguise her revulsion at his touch, and in fact will present a facade of desire so that Nick will trust her. After succeeding in seducing Nick, Morn sets about learning how things work on Captain's Fancy and meeting the crew. She seems to make quick enemies of Orn Vorbold, who appears to be a pervert in a variety of ways, and Mika Vasashk, who is Nick's second-in-command and ex-lover. Morn does find one ally, however, the mild and friendly Vector Shahid, head of engineering. Vector is kind to her, but hates the cops, because they ruined his livelihood and stopped his research into a mutagen immunity drug, which would have saved humanity from the threat of forbidden space. Things come to an early head as the ship's gap drive is damaged and they have to make it to a bootleg shipyard at sublight speeds. Over the months, things get tense on the ship and Orn cannot contain his urges. He attempts to rape Morn, telling her in the process that he planted a virus on the ship so Nick can't kill him without dooming the crew. Nick, being Nick, kills him anyway, and the crew hurries to contain the virus. In the aftermath of the fight, Morn goes to the sickbay and discovers she's pregnant. With Angus's child, not Nick's. At first planning to abort the baby, Morn waffles on her decision and eventually tells Nick that she wants to keep it, lying that the baby is his. Nick gives her a counteroffer. If she solves the problem of the virus, he will take her to Enablement Station in Forbidden Space, where she can have the baby and it will be force-grown in a matter of hours to become a teenager. Otherwise, he will sell her to the Amnion. Morn, with the help of Vector and Sib Mackern, discovers how Orn planted his virus. They fix the problem, and Nick agrees to take her to enablement. While all this is happening, Angus has been imprisoned back on Commine. Milos Taverner, the meticulous Deputy Chief of Security, is interrogating Angus while desperately hoping that Angus won't talk, because Milos himself is the traitor in security who helped Nick frame Angus. After an aborted escape attempt, Angus is visited by none other than Min Donner, director of the United Mining Company's Police Enforcement Division. She has arrived under the, under the jurisdiction of the newly passed Preempt Act and is putting Angus into cryosleep to bring him back to Earth. 
The first half of this book closes with Captain's Fancy's approach to Enablement Station, as Nick reveals that he has been there before. He helped Hashi Lebwol, the director of the UMCP's data acquisition side, test a now-finished mutagen immunity drug, and the Amnion are desperate to find out how Nick wasn't transformed after he allowed them to give him mutagens. Confronted by the treacherous duplicity of both Nick and the UMCP, Morn prepares to give birth, knowing that her own treachery in regards to the identity of her son will soon come to light. Well, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, this can only be bad. That's what I'm, I'm so concerned going forward. I mean, Nick even said something along the lines of, they can practically smell DNA. And they're heading into this situation with Nick unaware that this is not his child. I, I, this is, there are so many things that can happen here, and none of them are good. <laughs> but let's talk about what happened this week. So I, I remember leaving off last week a little confused as to Morn's motivations in deciding to protect Angus, for lack of a better term. You know, I'm, I'm glad that we did get that bit of internal struggle right at the beginning here, which is appropriate, mm -hmm. because I was surprised to see that we started immediately after the events of the real story. Like, I think this is the quickest chronologically I've ever seen a novel pick up after the last, in terms of, like, mm -hmm. what, minutes, yeah. hours after the real story's ending? <laughs> like, that was pretty refreshing, you know, especially after our journey through the Black Company, which you had, like years sometime like decade like a decade and a half in between novels picking <laughs> yeah. up towards the end this was a breath of fresh air right it's it's hard to maintain interest in a story like a story's cohesion that skips around so much but with the gap we are fortunate enough to get this roller coaster that never really stops like there might be <laughs> checkpoints on the roller coaster like this book you're going around the loop-de-loop -loop, but you know as soon as you're out of that you're on to the next thing yeah. yeah. Well, also, he uses the ancillary documentation, I think, to to give us a break from the roller coaster and uh, yeah. the unending roller coaster. Yeah, They're that was cool. uh, that was going to be my first point on on his writing style in this book. Uh, a pretty dramatic departure from the real story is that he goes toward more of a pretty direct, limited third person point of view. But he uses uh, an omniscient narrator in this ancillary documentation, uh, you know, pulling out a little bit every few chapters to give us world-building context. You know, here, here's how data cores work. Here's what the deal is with the Amnion. You know, things like that that not only give us a breath of fresh air from the visceral horror that Bored Highland <laughs> is experiencing, Unfortunately, yeah. but but also, you know, gives us uh, uh, more context for the events of the story. And his, his the way he does the documentations, I always like it when one shows up, because they're not written like dry exposition or dry history. They're actually kind of colorful in their language and, and often humorous. And I really appreciate yeah. that. Yeah. He, he, he pulls it off very nicely. Yeah, that's a good world-building technique, I yeah. think. Yeah, definitely. We've yeah. had we had little details like you know since Juanita Estevez stumbled upon the gap drive, you know I, I do like that he's sprinkling these little details in that we don't necessarily need to know more about. But these these ancillary documents, they are just unapologetic. They are they do exactly what they're supposed to do. I found them to be wonderful. Yeah. Yeah, Lauren, what do you think? So the first one that really, I don't know, brought me into the the situation that they are in in space, you know, with the Amniani. Um, where they talk about what the Amniani can do with their DNA 
I thought it, I thought it was a great, great stroke of genius by Stephen R. Donaldson when he explained the visceral fear that all of humanity feels about being completely transformed and not human anymore. Like that, that got to me the first oh. time I read okay. it. Okay, but I think we have our first bone of contention. Because <laughs> okay. if I have a problem with the gap cycle, I would say that that aspect of it is slightly overemphasized, or at least I don't feel like it you really connects to me. Not at all. Like, I can imagine so many worse fates, that, like being one of the actual human characters experiencing the actual events that they do go through, for example, that it, <laughs> okay. That the threat of being turned into an amnion, which, you know, the experience suck would suck, sure, but then it's over, and you're an you amnion, and you don't care yeah. anymore. Yeah, I'm with you on that. Your existence is continuing, and, yeah. and, and so what? You Fine. might have fading memories of it, perhaps, but as an amnion, you don't have any human context for those memories to disturb you. But think about so for me, I, I, I disagree on that because I think it transcends the immediate human experience. I, I am a religious person, and and so I believe in the idea of a human soul, and putting that into context with this transformation is existentially horrific. Right. Well, see, I right. wasn't I wasn't considering that aspect of it. I was imagining this as a purely biological transformation because honestly, how could it be otherwise? Well, yeah, I, no. Know. But I I definitely see that that fear. Yeah. See, I like Go ahead. In in other stories, let's say you get bitten by a werewolf. Sure, you turn into a werewolf, but it's temporary. Yeah. You know, it's it's not complete. The way that mm, well, this is complete. Or well, even, and I saw it as the kind of the idea of like why people or, or partially why people go insane or, or are at least yes. driven to the borders of insanity just um, thinking about the possibility of this is, is because there is at some deep level in you this, this existential mandate to avoid this. Mm. I, I was about to agree with Pat. I was about to agree. I think I actually did start to agree with you there. But then I realized, I mean, you have to think about the zone implants and what those are. I mean, Morn is making herself more receptive to Nick's attractions and, you know, as, as you know, disgusting as they can be. And in the moment, she's able to switch that switch off. She's able to, to turn herself into something else. Yeah, but even then, it's like, yeah, like... I don't know. It, it's just it doesn't it does it rubs me the wrong way. I can see how this would be on a like on an existential level something entirely different. I can see like it's really hard. It's it's hard to it's hard to make a judgment call on that. <laughs> well, it which really is. which scares you more then? Having having the possibility I, I that think, you could have a zone implant. And I think be it's the lack of agency. Or yeah, with like with with the mutagens and the amnion, I think it's the complete change and the lack of agency afterward that kind of terrifies me a little bit more. Because it changes yeah. who it's It's just, yeah, I think it's a little scarier. I just sort of uh, suspended my disbelief in the nature of the soul. Because that's the real question about when you become an amnion. Do you retain your human soul? 
or have you fund is that is that fundamentally changed and i just sort of blew the question off i didn't but i guess it's worth thinking about it worth discussing yeah it's right yeah i mean what one would i would tend to say it wouldn't just i mean you know not to venture too deeply into a theological conversation but but I think it is, I think it, like like you said, it's worth discussing, and just my initial but, but impression would you... be that that if the amnion, like, yeah, they transform your whole body, but if there is a soul, why would the soul be affected? Well, like, so that's my consciousness is, is you retain well, you your human soul, but it is now in, in direct opposition to the biological reality of your body. Mm. And, and thus, and thus creating, like, this... Like okay, if you if you said that that is responsible for the reactions that people have when they're threatened with with forced mutation, okay. I I think I, they're I'll, soulless. I'll I think they're like the Borg. They assimilate you, and <laughs> okay. you are no more. You are a computer. <laughs> well, like, you are part sort of part of the organic amniote. You're not. They don't need only language to communicate mm -hmm. later on they talk about how you know milo so i don't want to get ahead of the story but they seem to have difficulty remembering their humanity mm -hmm. yeah if yeah i mean if you just suspend your disbelief then i can agree with pat in the sense that it's just a question of um human supremacy you know the revulsion of and being something else for sure uh, a slight aside this is rob's first time reading the book so there's a lot of stuff that he doesn't know i don't want to spoil it for i was about to i was about to ask it. i was gonna say it might be the only one who hasn't read this uh the series yet because i have some like i want to take that idea and run with it but i don't know if it'd be appropriate or not. <laughs> like i wonder about the, the the flip side i wonder if there's a way to that that, that the amniani can actually make themselves more human and how disturbing and weird and interesting that would be they're certainly well, tried yeah yeah the, that's, that's why they were willing to make that deal with nick uh to try to transform him and basically use Nick as an experiment. And in turn, the UMCP were using Nick as an experiment in in retaliation. And that's why both know, paid or, him. Or in opposition. Right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 Um, but, but sticking on writing style yeah. here, um, obviously the majority of this has been from Morn's point of view, but we get... Uh, uh, we get a couple of Angus' points of view and a couple of Milo's points of view in addition to the the ancillary documentation and i think it's really interesting the the kind of structural decision that donaldson made to only assign chapters to mourn but then he when we get a what is essentially a chapter from the point of view of angus or milos it's just titled angus or milos mm. yeah and and that that reminds me a lot of you know the the way George R. R. Martin, for instance, does things in A Song of Ice and Fire, but it's this hybrid, and and I was wondering, like, does that make a difference to you guys? Yeah. Does it change your reading experience? It feels complementary rather than than part of the uh, the entire main course. You know, I, I like it. I do like it. 
Well, it, yeah. it, it gives us the sense that, okay, we're going to take a break from the main action and focus a little bit on something else that might be relevant, but we need a break. Because if there weren't any Angus Milos or ancillary documentations, this book would be unreadable. Oof. I don't know about unreadable, but it would be unbearable. Yeah, in that sense. Unreadable in that sense. Like, you couldn't... I couldn't cope with it. Yeah. Yeah, because what Morn goes through... I mean, he's... I, so this is my last kind of style point. Like, I don't think this is the darkest book I've ever read. Uh, I think, you know, Blade of Taishal takes that crown. But... Certainly it has uh, one of the most horrific premises I've mm. ever encountered in in Morn's conflict. That she, she basically has to put herself through this. She has to allow herself to be raped over and over. She has to allow her, her mind to be turned off simply to cope with the situation she's in. And... And, and be abused by everybody around her over and over again simply to survive. Mm-hmm. It may not be the most graphically described. You know, Donaldson has the... Thank goodness. You know, the tact to cut away. Yeah. You know, he doesn't he doesn't give us blow-by-blow accounts of, you know, Morn's encounters with Nick or, or, or anything like that. But, but it's... It's still there. I mean, it, this is this is still happening. Mm-hmm. I personally had a harder time with the real story because it didn't feel hopeful at all in the way that this starts to. Because more has Morn. more agency. Yes. Yeah. Well, yeah, like you I think get, I... she can do something. Yeah. Even yeah, if it's and not she she wants to live. And she's got ideas for the future. Like she, she's thinking about it. She's not just suffering. But at the same time, uh, if it was constantly and never became anything else other than a question of her survival only, it couldn't last. She would right. last. Because that is not sufficient motivation to continue on under these circumstances. Right. But now she's fighting for more than herself. Now she has another little reason to continue, and I think that's really important. Right. Yeah. Yeah, bringing that in and and showing that out of the darkness of what has befallen her, something that is indeed a very good thing can happen was a pretty bold move on his part, I would say. Yeah, I guess I'm I'm holding yeah. judgment because I don't I'm afraid to see what's happening in the immediate following pages. <laughs> She also made a bad decision. Well, she could have, she could have gotten out of the whole thing at the end of the real story by saying, "Hey, he gave me a zone implant. Then we're going to give her the death penalty." You know, she could have. Mm-hmm. She wanted the zone imp- imp- implant uh, control. Yeah, so she could maintain her career options, as far as I can tell, which is like... No, no, it's more than that. Yeah, it, she it can transcends be, that. Yeah, she can be more than human now. She okay. can right. she can go above and beyond her needs and her... Um, right, she can think faster. You know, her shortfalls. Reason faster. But it's even... React faster. It's yeah. even more than that, though. It's even more than that. It's a it's the direct result 
of what Angus did to her that made her want the control in the first place. Because yeah. she... Sure. Okay. Yeah. Like, we're talking about yep. agency. Like, she was entirely powerless for the real story. And here's this opportunity for her to take control of her life in a in a pretty significant fashion. Maybe not take control of all her circumstances, but take control of herself. Yeah. Which is more important I think to it's just her the at that moment. The, the overcompensation, the swing back too hard in the other direction, I think is going to be leading to bad things in the future. I, I want be- I want the best for her, but I just don't see it be getting any better. And it sucks. Yeah, so kind of the way I see it is that what Angus did to her, the trauma she experienced at his hands, drove her insane. And that's why on a, on a rational level, her decisions don't really make sense. Yep. They make sense within a new kind of framework that she has built for herself in the aftermath of Angus. But for somebody looking at it from the outside in, it doesn't make sense. And that's why the conceit of the real story works. That even with the people who who have a good idea of what may have gone down, they don't understand the motivations and the decisions the people made because they don't make sense. They're driven by by anger and fear and trauma rather than any sort of rational thinking. Mm-hmm. But I don't think Bourne is insane at all. Donaldson really? seems to think so. No, I think that um, given her premises, she's behaving quite rationally. Indeed, brilliantly. The Yeah, I mean, I can't think of any other decision I would be making in her place. Uh, going to the police. Yeah, that that's the operative I mean, moment. That's like the end of the real story. I'm thinking of like this novel. Yeah, yeah. After she's already and, consigned to this, and and she's now trying to trying to find her balance in the wake of this moment of insanity, and 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 kind of at moments tipping tipping over the edge and coming back. You know, we, she has this feverish, uh, you know several days uh trying to figure out trying to solve the problem of the computer virus and and uh and i think there she again she tips over into insanity where she needs sip mackern to walk through basic logical thinking for her because she can't do it anymore and then once the problem is solved then she can kind of come down and and come back into contact with with her sanity and and let's not forget either um gap sickness is the other uh, point on this uh, triangular dilemma like so if she does if she does go to the cops what's she going back to she killed her whole family albeit it's not her fault but she blames herself for it anyway um so what does she have if she goes back to that, she has no family and gap sickness, so no more being a cop. Yeah, she, she's got nothing. And she yeah. doesn't even have a normal life to go back to. She has nobody to support her. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there is that. And then there also is just the fact that she's an addict now, and all of her actions can be interpreted under that without resorting to her being insane. At least she acknowledges it, too. You know, she's aware that she has to. Which, to me, makes it more horrific. That she she's aware and willing 
descending this path. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, it, I, I really think, you know, we call these books science fiction, space opera, whatever, but there is a heavy dose of horror in the, <laughs> in the gap cycle. <laughs> yes. But it's oh, yeah. the horror. It's not horror that's specifically science fiction. It's all horror that's very human. Yes. And yeah, could and definitely. could fit into any context. Yeah. It's human yeah. actions that are horrible. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, in, I, in this. <laughs> oh, yeah. like like the like but, the amnion might be scary, but they're not evil. Yeah. They're they just are. Yeah. Yeah, they're they're doing what it what it is that they do. Yeah, yeah. But getting getting into the, this idea of the humanity and the horror and how they go hand in hand, I, I, and I, I'm thinking this is a, a very Donaldson style thing. Now that I've this is my second book by him that I'm getting into, uh, but like I wasn't prepared for how close we are getting to our cast of characters, whether it's pleasant or not. Like <laughs> it's it's expected that we're going to be really deep inside Morn's head, being our main character. We are there for every spike of fear, every ray of hope, everything. But I wasn't expecting. Like the, the the magnitude of the microscope that we get or, or that we have to see other characters through, particularly with with uh, Socorso, I wasn't ready to get such an intimate look at the machinery of like humanity yeah. that exists in balance on the captain's fancy. It's just it's really intricate character work, but it's not always pleasant when you are that close to the humanity and you get to see it that close up. It's Oh, disturbing! Oh, yep. my sweet summer child. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> spoken, spoken with the fresh outlook going into this. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I mean, that goes back to what I mentioned in in the real story with the way Donaldson constructed the dynamic among the three main characters. Mm. How it starts off with Angus as the villain, Nick as the hero, and Morn as the damsel, and now halfway through Forbidden Knowledge, we have pretty solidly transitioned to where Nick is the villain, Morn is the hero, and Angus is the damsel. Or mm-hmm. perhaps Morn's unborn child. Or... And we're not done yet. No. And we are not done yet. Oh. You were just talking about <laughs> Nick, Rob. Well, get ready for a lot Listen, I'm going to be ranting about that. Nick when we get to our character discussion on Nick's accord, so I'm going to... I mean, to I think we're all, we were just talking <laughs> yeah, we, about we were, Morn. We're, we're already yep. there, so we may as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we've, we've pretty much transited. We have nothing else about style at the moment to jump. We've, uh, are we done with, like, uh, yeah, Morn? Do uh, we still want to talk well, about Morn? No, I got... Yeah. Go ahead, Lord. So... I will say when I read this five years ago. More than that. Yeah. I Seven years ago? Oh my six, gosh. Six, seven years? <laughs> so I didn't relate to Morn as much as I do now. There, there have been some things that I understand about her in, in different ways. And man, her trauma. Like... It's, it's crazy to think that she kept going through everything that she's been through. And I understand how, you know, a child for her could be a reason to live. Mm-hmm. And no, that's a good point. I feel her feeling so much more than maybe I did. Yeah, a shortest Because I, under- I understand that feeling of, like, that possibility more than I did when I first read this. 
Yeah. And, and I think every, every woman also has that, that fear and that's like need at the same time. And coming from a male author but, too. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I was going to bring that up too. Like yeah. he, whatever he, he, he's he really doing, it's clearly it. working. He's a good observer. Yep. I mean, there are moments where it's clear to me that he is a male author, but still. <laughs> You know, he, he really perfect. got more. <laughs> yeah, right, yeah. right. How could you understand? You're, you know, you're not her. But he's he's really made the character so realistic, mm. so visceral. I don't know, but I'd be willing to bet that he has children of his own. Sure. I don't know. I could see it. Yeah, with I mean, yeah, I I have no idea. <laughs> and, and with Morn, she's she's really she is a good person at heart, isn't she? Like, there was one conversation that she had with Vector that uh, that she had the, the the conversation that we're probably all thinking of, but the UMCC suppression, you know, of of his work. Like, there's this errant thought of Morn's that I think really defines her character for me at this moment, and why I'm kind of invested in her and in, in her positive outcome. And that moment might have like slipped unnoticed under the radar. There's a lot of bigger things, more dramatic things happening around her, but. She thinks about the implications of Vector's previous work, and she imagines, and I quote, being able to do that much good for that many people still touched her, despite Angus and the gap sickness. Like, these little casual thoughts of hers are just kind of sprinkled in there, and these are the reasons that, you know, I, I still want her to, to have a great outcome. I'm just, Obviously, I'm just, like... She is still the person that I want to see win. She's tough as nails. She's incredibly resourceful. Almost too resourceful, in my opinion, but not obnoxiously so. All this all around a wonderful vehicle, if you'll forgive the expression, for like our narrative so far, for sure. Well, her, her desperation leads her to be more than she is. She's got no choice. Yeah. 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 It's, it, it's and, and it's, sink or swim. Exactly. It reminds me a lot of a lot of survivor stories I've read, where she she really is going through all of it, and she can do more because she has to. Yeah, it brings out that she's part of She's a fundamentally moral person. Yes. You know, she's, she's trying to reconcile it with a lot of very difficult things. Yeah, I'm glad, I'm glad that she, we still have that to root for after everything that's happened. She still has that shining little bit left and it's something to cheer for, so it's good. I mean, as, yeah, a, yeah. as a more or less casual aside, that's kind of what she's going through is the definitive characteristics of people who are moral people. You know, it's easy to, like, let's say, be nice if nothing bad has ha ever ha ever happened to you. How it's not so easy to face the darkness and still and 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 have it affect you to such a degree and still make the decision. She really try. did join, yeah, yeah, and and she really did join the cops to protect and serve. Yeah. This, this is why I say right. that no one is born a good person. You have to work for it. Like, this is Morn working for it. Mm -hmm. Like, she might have had good raw materials and a good family upbringing environment, all of that stuff. But this is the test. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I've said everything I want to say about Morn. I, I, I kind of want to rant about Nick, but is there anything else you guys want to cover as far as Morn no. Island is concerned? No, but... But if you want to slide into Nick and use the style, I want to have something to say. I have seen many scars in my day. Okay. Um, 
I have never, I've seen some scars that are red, and I've seen some scars that are paler. I have never seen scars that changed color with your mood. That's kind of what a scar is, right? It doesn't have any vessels in it. Like, I've seen it, Nicks have been gray as ash, black, and livid. And by the way, the the word livid used to mean blue. In Dante, it means blue, and now it means red. Really? It's an interesting example. Yeah, it's an interesting no example interesting. of a word that has changed its meaning. And there were other said there were several other shades that his scars turned <laughs> according to his mood. I just wanted to ask like you guys if, they, yeah, they, yeah, he's like a mood ring. Yes, yeah, right. Sorus Soros Chatelaine gave him mood rings. <laughs> yeah, I, but so I don't get I, that. I wonder if anyone has any insight into that phenomenon. Yes. I have some ideas. So I assume that they're right below his lids in that spot that has very thin skin and that the vessels are close to the surface. So when he's pumping maybe more blood to the spot, it shows up under the scars as blood colored. That's my Uh, guess. Okay. Well, that's very prosaic and it makes a lot of sense, but it disappoints me. I was hoping it was some sort of magic. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I was I was gonna say they're they're uh Nick's scars are are the ring of the gap cycle. It, it's the <laughs> The mood ring. <laughs> really? It's, eh? That's it's, a good point. It's the MacGuffin. So you've uh, you imagine them as vertical slashes or horizontal slashes, not vertical. Yeah, see for me they're they're horizontal. Horizontal. Yeah. 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 Is that yes, is that specific? Right. Is that stated? I'm not sure. That's a great question. Because I, I, I've I read this like several times, I could do a book search for scars. The answer to that question, but I too have them as horizontal and below mm. his eyes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I yeah, I have a I have a horizontal scar right right along the the bottom of my eye on the orbital bone. Yeah, um, I it's I, a little it's over here. It's a little no, it's right here. It's right here. Um. It, it, oh, different one. It, it was it was from a I blocked a shot in hockey and the I was gonna say up underneath my visor and <laughs> and got me below the eye. But as far as I know, it doesn't ever change color. <laughs> so I mean, tradition they do change color as they heal, and white means right. it's fully healed. Right. All I heard I'm, is that I'm we have looking... to piss off Drew more often. <laughs> <laughs> I. I I'm looking through at least this book and I don't see any descriptors about them being vertical or horizontal. I just always assumed they were horizontal. Do you want the the real story? I'm looking at the real story right now. I just did a search for scars. But does it say <laughs> it says scars under his eyes. The cuts which underlined everything yeah. we saw. I suppose well, underlined. So underli- the saw. word underlined that implies yeah, horizontal. That implies horizontal, yeah. Okay, yeah. I think we actually managed to arrive at an answer on the Inking Out Loud podcast for once. Cool. <laughs> I mean, uh, vertical ones would make him, like, kind of more emo. In my, sure, sure, yeah, In yeah, my yeah. view. <laughs> All right. Okay. Uh, He's not Nick? emo so much as a bastard. <laughs> shall, can I, shall we well. discuss Nick? Should we open this can of worms? Yeah. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah, so Rob, you ended the real story really excited to see this swashbuckling heroic <laughs> Oh my god, did I ever. Okay, um... 
I'm, I'm floored with how well Donald Donaldson manages to humanize Nick in the beginning of this book in such a small amount of page time. I mean, that kind of passion and that kind of vulnerability, especially the vulnerability was not something I expected to see right out of the gate like that. Uh, the first few times he sleeps with Morn and, and her gazing at him as he sleeps, thinking about how exposed he is. And we can all see as an audience how he doesn't want to admit how she's got him completely disarmed, you know, like the tears in his eyes. How he thinks he he says there wasn't he didn't know there's any such thing as love or however he puts it like I began my points for this week saying this is some amazing human character work but oh my god I kept reading and now yeah. I hate Nick Sicorso like it's it's probably the standard reaction at this point I'm I'm definitely on the hate train for this guy his self indulgence right. and his massive ego more than vol like more volatile than nitroglycerin it just it makes for a character that's easy for me to focus all of my anger towards mm -hmm. like I wanted to like him you said it Drew you're right I wanted to like him after the real story uh, now I don't think I will ever be able to unless Donaldson pulls a miracle of writing like. Uh, uh, I, he, he just he lives to serve his ego in every single thing that he does, and it, yes. it's just sickening to me. I hate it. Right, and I have you, more to you, say, but I'll let you guys take it from here before I continue. The the best little tidbit about that that we get is when Micah uh, is explaining to Morn that the one thing you don't do on this ship is when Nick says, I want, you yes. do not disobey that. The want... Nick's want is the ultimate thing for him. I, I don't know why, but that's just the most like, unclean thing to me. That mm. that the word want is the overriding word. When Nick says he wants something, everybody must bow down. Mm. There's something just so debasing about that. It's the root of all evil, if you ask me. Pride, in other words. Because everything that you do... Like, if, if, you're, if, you're, if you're Nick, right? What you personally want is the only thing that matters, and just regardless of anything else. And to some extent or another, that's behind every evil action that a person can commit is your own desires trump every other motivation every yeah. other circumstance and that's so true for nick yeah his wants are more are a higher priority than his needs in some cases it's just it's animalistic you know and i i have to make a callback to another series and and this is uh, i know pat brought this up over and over again when we covered it but the acts of cain Mm. the that that kind of it, it almost became gospel for the people who in that series ascribed to the philosophy of Cainism. my will or i won't yeah no that is nick's philosophy 100 percent. yeah yeah you know like the way he's been sleeping around on a ship, it's greasy enough. And the fact that he, he flaunts it in such a way, it just hits home. Like that, And what he does to Mika, who is my favorite character so far, 
Yeah, watching. Oh, really? Yes, watching her tears. You know, as, as Nick reverts to that primitive, abandoned, and has sex with Morn right there on the bridge in front of everyone. Just oh to, yeah, that, just that to prove is... he can. And it's 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 insanity. And there's and there is something poetic if you pull out about it. This how revolting this like humanity leaving their world behind, spacefaring, all this technology and order around them. But then this primitive sort of ritual, animalistic display as the centerpiece of it all. It's creative. But but God, it makes me hate the guy. The guy being Nick, not Donaldson. It's still some good writing, but yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> Nick. If, okay, Nick. If, he brought. He brings this emotion out of me that I honestly don't think I've ever felt as a reader. He, he's the first character on page I've ever read who makes me want to actually fight him. And I'm, I'm not a particularly violent person. <laughs> I've been the mediating, calm everybody down, work things out, like diffuse the situation sort of guy for my entire life. I've never overly, uh, overtly acted as the aggressor or physically threatened anyone. That After reading that scene on the Captain's Fancy, the bridge there, all those tears of Mika's, like, I've wanted to actually fight this guy. Like, I could feel that <laughs> testosterone-driven aggression. And it's such an alien feeling to me. And I know Nick Sikorso would wipe the floor with me. I, I, but it feels good, <laughs> doesn't it? I don't know if I'd be able to stop myself anyway. Like, I've never physically reacted to a character like this, which kind of ties into a long-standing point that I have, that I've had in the past about the best-written characters being ones that elicit physical responses from the reader. Nick is... Nick Sikorso is the first kind of his kind that I've experienced. A character who would physically destroy me, but it still makes me want to fight him anyway. Like, I'm tense right now! Just talking so about face-to-face with this guy. With this guy. Go, Rob, yes. do you remember our 100th episode celebration? I remember, I, the name Nick Sikorso came back to me as soon as I did because Pat was talking about him on that episode. Both you guys and were actually. Me. Yeah, we, Drew and I both had him as some of our as our most hated characters. Okay, because I spent this whole time trying to think, was he the most liked or most hated? Because maybe he has an amazing redemption arc <laughs> later or something like that, and maybe mm-hmm. he becomes super likable later. I'm like, what... Is he the mo- then? Then all of this happened, and I went, "Okay, no." Nope, we're gonna, gonna we're gonna meet. You know what's worth considering? I agree with everything that you're saying. Thank you. But you know what's worth considering? <laughs> Every single one of us is born like Nick Sikorso. When you're a newborn baby, you know two things: want and don't want. And all of growing up is learning that that's not all there is to it. Mm. I mean, I just yeah. wanted to say that. That is a very good point. Yeah. And I haven't he, even thought of that. So I've watched a lot of children. He definitely is a child to me. His just lack of understanding of anything else, and he doesn't... And refusal just, to understand he, anything else. He lives yes. in his own I universe. Was, right. Yeah. He's he's a little brat. And he's forced to share it with everyone else. It's Right. Now, go to uh, refresh your memory with his backstory a little bit. Like, the seminal moment of his life occurs when he's pretty young, from what the story implies. he was raised a privileged, doted upon, Mm -hmm. spoiled child who then in turn rebelled against his parents because they didn't let him do what he wanted to. Mm -hmm. Even though they let him do whatever he wanted. Right. In in the deeper sense. Like... Yeah. Yeah, so... So, Pat, when you were reading him, did mm. especially the fight scene, did it make you want to to fight him? Did it make me want to fight him? Well, the fight I wanted... scene I wanted to fight him. It was during, like, when they were having sex in front of everybody and Mika was crying and it was just like a display of power. I was like, this is... That was when I wanted well, to fight him. 
yes and no. I mean, the thought I want to fight him never occurred to me. I wanted to, you know, I skip the fighting bit and go right to the the time where I'm like cracking his neck with my bare hands. You know, the fight, <laughs> right, 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 the right. fight has has happened already, and I am the victor, obviously, because this is my imagination and. You know, in my imagination, I can make these characters dance to my tune. I mean, so yes and no. I want to fight. Yeah. I want to fight it. Rob wants to fight Nick Sikor, so that could be the title of this episode. <laughs> <laughs> Probably get my so ass kicked, I, but I still want to do it. Sorry, go ahead. I, I got to say, I, I've had a really hard time divorcing my feelings from reading the series from this book. I have really, really strong feelings about every single character in this series. And going back and starting from the beginning. And you haven't even finished it. Ooh. <laughs> Interesting. Oh, wow. No, I didn't. Which book? I, I has read a little yeah. bit into the final book and then stopped. How? Well, I don't know how she was yeah. physically capable of stopping. Wow. I got distracted. <laughs> I got envy you. And all the other... <laughs> I'm pretty sure... Anyways... Nothing short of a nuclear holocaust could have distracted me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we'll talk about this when we get to This Day All Gods Die, but that yeah. was maybe the most white-knuckle grip book I have ever read. Yeah. Oh, so. man. Lauren, you have to save that moment and tell me what it is when we get there. I want to know the moment that you dropped off and see if I could physically have done this to drop off at this point. It wasn't on purpose. Okay. Definitely well. not on purpose. But also, I... So, starting... From the beginning again with Nick Sicorso, I can't take away the absolute anger that I have towards him, and I I hate him so much. And he hasn't done anything yet that that I yeah oh. yeah okay <laughs> like oh no. There's, there's more Rob, and I hate, I hate him. Hey, oh, we get this is through the second. Novel, this is I'm tame, surprised. Nick. This yeah, is, this is tame. This is in this is love. Nick, oh no, that we're reading. It's, it's <laughs> all coming from Nick specifically. <sighs> okay, Rob. I wanted, oh, man. Rob oh no, there. I wanted Rob. to have sympathy for him at the beginning here, and I the, couldn't do it. There are at least two other characters that I in this series that I have to debate with myself about whether I hate more than Nick, but Nick tends to come out on top. Are, are, are yeah, I know what you're talking about. Thermopile, as Nick says? Angus is not one of them. Whoa. That's, yeah, whoa. <laughs> that's all I'm going to say. Fan. Hmm? I'm sorry? Pat's an Angus fan. Yes, I am. <laughs> What? Just wait, Rob. That's an oxymoron. Okay, all Rob, right. just just keep in mind the idea, this um of, re- this of reversing concept yeah, of okay. yeah the the rotation of character tropes. My God, of hero, villain, and damsel in distress. Let the record show right will... now. If you ever find me saying I'm an Angus fan, Donaldson is the best writer alive. I will also say. All right, I will, we'll, we'll I will revisit quote that by you on that, Rob. Fan, fan. Rob wants to fight Nick Corso, and Rob's never going to be an Angus fan. All right. I, I agree, though. There is at least one other character who is more despicable than Nick. You haven't yeah. met him yet. Hmm. Okay. I've said everything about Nick I think I want to say or even can stomach saying. Yeah, no, we need to get the taste out of, of Nick out of oh, my mouth. Oh, don't say it that way, yeah. Pat. Well, well, let's, let's talk, let's talk uh, 
Sorry, Briefly Rob. about Mika. Okay. Since Rob said he liked Mika. Yeah, and, why? And, yeah. How can you not? She's, like, I mean, I've been, first off, I've been very open with the fact that I am super attracted to tough women. I, the kind of women who take no bullshit. <laughs> and honestly, it's kind of cool if they can kick my ass. But, as I, I mean, a sensitive side is always important. Mika seems to have all of those. Like, this conversation she has with Morn as Nick summons her to the bridge, I think it was. Like, how did you do it? How do you do it? I need to understand. That bit of vulnerability that she's showing, but only and calculatedly only to Morn and in this moment. Like, th- I think that scene is going to end up on my list of favorite scenes in this book when we get, when we get to it in the next episode. Ooh. She's very professional. She's clearly super competent. I hate seeing what Nick does to her. Everybody, but her, again, especially her. Even if I think it really displays the strength of, of Mika's character, you know, she's she's able to continue being such a competent second for somebody with the reputation of Nick Sikor. So, like, I want right now, I want nothing but good things for Mika as it stands, and I hope we get to see them happen for her. Why? Why do you think she's doing what she's doing? Because she's still in love with Why? him. Why? I think. And it, everything that he's doing is killing her. But she also, uh, maybe she maybe she is really, really invested in his opinion of her and she wants to prove herself, you know, competent. I don't know. Like, I'm not, I don't, we haven't seen enough of Mika for me to really form a, an encapsulated opinion of that. But I think yeah, that's take her at her word. I mean, she did it for her brother. Did I miss that? Yeah, she's, I think, I think Mika is a really straightforward character. Yeah. Uh, she... Like you said, Rob, you know, she is competent, but she is, she's somebody who has lived a lifestyle that does not engender subterfuge or, or she's somebody who has made her way being who she is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think like after everything she's been through and what Nick is continuing to put her through, it'd be easy for her to just fall into a lot of unprofessional petty despicable kind of behavior but she's still very competent like she's not a she she's very she can be abrasive of course you know um but she she's still very very good at what she does and she doesn't really seem to let her personal feelings at least uh you know interfere with her job with being how competent she is yeah you know as i'm as we're talking about this there's a there's a spectrum in this series of characters who range from totally on the surface what you see is what you get to completely Mm -hmm. obfuscated on the other hand and they're all good characters i'm not saying like some are simplistic they have depth um if they're the on the surface characters like mika dolph ubiquay is another good example of that kind of character yeah we'll get to him in a bit yeah Mm. oh yeah that's why i like mika you guys all sound very surprised that I like Mika as much as I do, so this makes me concerned. Well, I just like so many other characters so much more that she kind of unfairly gets eclipsed. Yeah, so this is something that I feel like I need to just point out, is that there are there are good, pertinent writing-style things to talk about with this series, but one of the things that really sets the gap cycle on another level is the character work. The entire cast of characters, uh, of which we've only met a small part (laughs) at this point, is so richly realized. Like, of all the things that Stephen R. Donaldson does, yeah, he he has a a good turn of phrase, he has a a strong grasp of narrative structure, he, he does cool things with point of view... 
uh, he he has these high level thematic uh, things, you know, the the inspiration from the Ring Cycle and, and stuff like that. But what really makes this series as good as it is is how excellent the characters are. Mm-hmm. Like I said, I have intense feelings about <laughs> yeah. all of them, yeah. and I can't let them go. Oh, I want to hear more <laughs> of them in the future. Then you are coming back on for more episodes. I hope, right? <laughs> Yeah, we'll see. we'll see. I want to hear these thoughts. No, I, we can 100% we can make it work. Yeah, I want you to finish it, Lauren, because it's so good. We can finish it together. We can, we're, we'll be yeah, both at, new into the end. At the least, we need Lauren back on for this day, All Gods Die. Yeah. Oof. Yeah, we should have, like, a monster cast of people on for that Just episode. Just do, like, another three-hour episode <laughs> where we get <laughs> Matt and Lauren and Jared. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, my gosh. Have, like, eight people on. Yeah, I would love that. I am done with all of my characters except for Orn, but I just have some... uh, Angus. 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 Oh. We got to talk about Angus. Ooh, I didn't actually and write anything books. down about Angus. Why didn't I? Hmm. Well, not so far. Not much has happened that we didn't sort of expect. We expected him to be in lockup and getting tortured and trying to escape because obviously it's Angus. Well, Angus is a wall of hate. Mm. But yes. his wall has already been penetrated. Yes. Mm-hmm. Ironically, yeah. by what he did to Morn, he's now in love with her. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, I mean, I'm he, he won't admit it to himself. Yes. He'd probably do everything again if he saw her just out of habit. <laughs> yeah. Um, but his wall of hate has been penetrated. Well, I, I agree, and I like the fact that Donaldson doesn't... He has the tact not to just come out and say it. Right. Yeah, I don't know. Like Myself, I was considering Angus, this character, that perhaps we would we would be driven to hate so much that it would kind of make the, the, the reader question themselves and it'd be that kind of character it's like like mm. to to kind of make the reader uncomfortable with how much they hate and want to see this character tortured i figured that was coming he was just this hate sink of a character who we were going to love to hate but now i'm really 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 i don't know intrigued about where this is actually going to be going because like I, he does end this at this part of the week with with a very big cliffhanger i mean he's being frozen and he's bringing being brought back to earth i was like i thought he was just going to be written off this is his fate and that's it but mm. it does next not week seem we're going to have a lot of interesting things to discuss yes about angus what yeah rob what do you think what are your ideas right now predictions am i making predictions yes yeah uh specifically about angus i mean god yes. well well knowing that that's Sto- oh, i almost said stover that donaldson wants to wants to work on this flipping the, the the roles of his protagonists, his antagonists, or those who are sympathetic, unsympathetic on on one another. I, I just, I hope, hope that Angus is somehow going to have a redemption arc, and I'm going to really want to eat my words in saying that I'm going to hate him forever. What's happening to Angus? I don't know. He's been out to Forbidden Space. We know that. I wonder if he's had dealings with the Amnion. Oh. Ooh. Oh. Oh. I poked the bear. You absolutely did. Woo. Okay. 
I think Rose is going to... No, I'm... Let's see. What do you think... What do you think the police are doing? Like... The UMCP? Why would... Yeah. Yeah. Why... Why this with him? Oh, my God. What if they were already... What if they were actually, like, being run by the amnia what if there's already been like a hostile takeover and we don't even know it of lizard people walking around i don't know I'm, I'm definitely throwing the ball randomly at this point i really have no idea okay. well okay. soon you'll know i'm going to be listening to Read this in about out, three or four sir. weeks time and i'm going to be saying what are you talking about it's right there in front of you <laughs> sorry future of i don't there, know there were tiny tiny hints but it, it really isn't that clear yeah rob so we talked about this very briefly when we were doing our episodes on the divine cities when you were complaining about uh, like how predictable okay you found robert jackson bennett's style and i told you i was like if you can accurately predict some things in the gap cycle i will like physically fly to canada and shake your hand <laughs> <laughs> but they're foreshadowed properly the, the, the seeds are planted as they should the seeds are planted okay Very all right small. i'm gonna yeah. be i'm gonna be reading this a lot more carefully from now on to see if i can i mean i'm gonna be reading carefully now because i need to discuss it at least on a somewhat intellectual level for an hour and a half at a time but okay okay yeah. i I will say with this series, there's so much to digest because, I mean, I mean, just let's talk about Morn having a baby that is about to be force grown mm. to adulthood. Yeah. What? And the implications of that are huge. Like yeah, vision, but, like but, just suddenly a person with no history. Like what the hell? Interesting. Yeah. Mm, think right. about that like a right. blank slate made to, to write itself it's going to be really cool mm. to see if that's what happens I mean oh my god it's, it's not going to be good coming up in the next few pages when I assume it'll be the next few pages that Nick finds out or from the Amnion that he doesn't share DNA with his child that's about to be born <laughs> yeah yeah it's going to be uh, or is it going to be not in the next few pages and, and suddenly come at a terrible time down the road oh god it's some the great only drama. thing Listen. i can tell you is that it's going to be a wild ride <laughs> okay like yeah, so I, buckle I, up I cannot wait for you i have to say and this is kind of a miscellaneous point that i wrote down but this is some premium grade certified fresh high quality drama served up in this series and i was not mm -hmm. ready for that the revelation that she was pregnant to begin with, I don't know why it took me by surprise, but it did. And, and her decision to tell Nick about it, but then lie to him about it being his son. Like, that is some primetime soap opera level stuff right there, and I have zero problem with it. I just want to grab the popcorn and gossip about it. Like, Donaldson seemed really good at making me feel new and weird things. You know? Yeah. Uh, I can't oh, I envy you. see what's coming. I can't. I envy I you getting it for the first time. I will read with trepidation. Yeah. 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 Okay. So are there any other characters we want to talk about before we, you know, kind of move into wrapping I up I wrote down about Orn, uh, precisely 11 words, and three of them are F-bombs. So you could, that'll probably give you an idea <laughs> as to how I feel about Orn. But, yeah, I mean, I'm ready to go yeah. into miscellaneous. Yep. What, what about, um... Oh, Vector. Geez, Milos. My, Vector, well, Vector, Vector or Milo. If anything, maybe Vector. Vector. Yeah, Vector. I mean, I was really, really expecting there to like when I found out that he, the the nature of his arthritis was Orn. I, I was really confused. I'm like, how is this guy still operating on their ship? Like he's directly incapacitating other members, like permanently. Like what? I don't know. With, with Vector, <laughs> I kind of I'm kind of sus of Vector. I'll be honest. 
I feel like he's too easy to like. And his his constant affable nature is a red flag. That's how I feel about Vector. Well, we, we saw his anger when he talked about the UMCP. Yeah, but that... And his research. That seemed like an old scar kind of hurt that he's just going to, like, in his wisdom, you know, tell well, to he, others. He told... He still told her, he's like, I hate, I hate you. I hate sure. all MC- UMCP. Sure. But it didn't seem we like could... it was fresh. It didn't seem like yeah, it was no, still it's, volatile. It's, it's turned into it bitterness in Vector. Yeah. yeah. And really, yeah, I mean, it's the answer to the question that I had immediately. What is someone who was doing genetic research doing operating on a pirate vessel? Right. Especially one that like, goes out into forbidden space. Deals with the yeah, it's on. it's bitterness. Sus. He's, he's striking back at his oppressors in his own way. Yeah. yeah, I'm that Futurama meme right now when Fry gets the dramatic music and he squints his eyes all suspiciously. Like, I don't know. Vector is <laughs> under the microscope for me. He's too easy to like. Well, I my last character point. I just want to point out like the the inherent irony to the character of Milos Taffner, who is this meticulously clean person who is also corrupt. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Juxtaposed with Angus. Yeah. 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 Yep. I'm just a little amused by his whole con- his whole co- conflict, his inner conflict, I should say, with his smoking habit. That's yeah. a, really all I really remember about the guy, honestly. It's been a little while. So I just blew right through well, this whole first half. You don't get a whole lot about him, so... I mean, I'm just saying, Stephen yeah. R. Donaldson knows what he's doing yeah. with his metaphors. Hey, I'm... Yeah. Okay, all right. All right. That's uh, that's going to get a whole lot grosser. <laughs> oh, no. oh, yeah. Uh, no. yeah. God <laughs> damn it. Okay. Uh, miscellaneous, <laughs> let's just discuss random things that we want to discuss. Yeah, yeah, let's do it. Okay. I learned well, not one, not two, but three new words this week. Donaldson is an articulate guy. Yes, yes and you can also tell when Donaldson learns a new word because he uses <laughs> yes. it over. Okay, okay, hold on. Give an example before I go over on. again. I'll give you an example from the Thomas Covenant, the word Eldritch. Really? Oh, yes. yeah. <laughs> that was where I and, first and in encountered this book, that word. Brissens. You, okay, yes. that was one of my Brissons. words. <laughs> Brissens. <laughs> The shattering capability of a high explosive determined mainly by its detonation pressure. I'd never heard that word before. I believe it's pronounced breesance. Is it? But I don't Brisons. know that's a fact. Brisance is how I've... What, like a Brisons. French bit of stank? Like brisance. What? Brisons. Yeah, no, just brisance. Uh, but I could be wrong. I mean, I've always... Oh, uh, yeah, I mean... This, I just, I'm just learning the word, so don't take me in mind. That's for sure. Um, next well, one I learned was lubricity. The measure of the reduction in friction and or wear by a lubricant. Lubricity. Never heard that one before. And the last. Deliquescing. To become liquid, typically during decomposition. I liked that one. Deliquesce. Yeah. To deliquesce. Yeah, that's a, huh. That's a, that's a cool word. Yeah. I can't, I don't remember if it's in, I think it's the in the next book that he discovers the word exigencies. And in the following book, he discovers the word apo- apotheosis. He's already used uh, apotheosis is the several book. couple of times. Oh, we've already had both okay. in this book. Okay. Yes, we have. I noticed it. Yeah, and I actually uh, noticed both myself. 
And this uh, um, uh, Frissen is the other one that has always stood out to me. I believe that's in Chaos and Order. Frissen. Mm. Spell it? Yeah. Yeah. Drew, spell it. Uh, F-R-I-S-S-O-N. Oh, wow. I don't know what it means. What does it mean? I could, that could be the second uh, toe it, of a it's, goldfish it's for like all I know. the... the, the um, how do I how do I put it like the spark of of uh, things rubbing against each other? Friction. Uh, okay, so friction. it's similar. Like or fission. Yeah, I'm looking it up. It's um, maybe a sudden passing sensation of excitement, a shudder of emotion, or a thrill. Hmm. Okay, I like it. Huh. Okay. Nice. I'm going to notice that, mo- that when we get to it, too, I'm going to be like, ah, yeah. that's right. <laughs> uh, so my my one kind of very offhand, just going to say very offhand, doesn't mean a thing, totally has no impact oh, on no. the story. <laughs> <laughs> he sat like a man with cracked ribs. His face and ears oozed blood. He'd lost a tooth or two. His left eye was swollen shut in a grotesque parody of Warden... Dios. Okay. Uh, Warden Dios. I've this heard is, that that name. You have heard that name precisely once, and this is the only time you've heard <laughs> it. Well, I mean, I, I I also read it when on like uh when I was just typed up uh, f- like forbidden knowledge on on uh, Wikipedia. I saw something about Warden Dios as as a name as mm. a character coming later. I didn't remember what it said, but I also like the way Dios kind of. I mean. The, yes. The, the it's a little in that name is just it intimidating is a little on the nose. It's a little on the nose. <laughs> okay, just a, just a touch. Yeah, well, but warm. you also, I, yeah, yeah. I think you get his nickname mm-hmm. here. This book. Mm, nope. Oh, not not in the part we read. Okay, I was right. gonna say in but this part. Later. Oh, yeah, no. he shows no, up in this, this book. Part. He's in the end. He does. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Oh, right at the end. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Guys are killing me. All right. Um, <laughs> go go go! Listen, Rob. After I, this, yeah, I will. Um, I love the way this book is, uh, as they tend to be, you know, unwittingly dated in their own vocabulary. Uh, and I brought this up during Kane. You know, you have to bring this up when you talk about a science fiction at older than ten or twenty years. You know, I counted so many uses of the word tape as a verb and as a noun. Yeah. Tapes of this and to tape that recording and. The, um, mm-hmm. and this I doubt this is a date thing. This next point is a, I doubt this is a date thing. It's probably just something that Donaldson just didn't feel like he wanted to deal with. I noticed a few scientific snags that just kind of get glossed over. The biggest, of course, being the complications of traveling for months at half the freaking speed of light. You, you, do you know what that does to the passing of time? Like they would lose like a third of every second that they spent traveling that way. Like a year right. for the rest of humanity would be like nine months for them. I mean, th- like there's been fantastic world building like uh, the creative way he works magical technology with real life concept the the source of conflict that we have with 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 mutagens and the rna and the relationship with amnion this is some prime sci-fi stuff but i'm not seeing any addressing anywhere of how humanity deals with people not aging as quickly as they should be when they spend this much time relativistic travel yes exactly Mm. relative motion and light speed and how it plays with with the dimension of time like i'm still waiting to see if that comes up anywhere and so far it hasn't so well in fairness it's rare with the gap drive yeah um so traveling at half the speed of light is actually very rare that's above light speed the gap drive 
Way it's instantaneous. instantaneous. Okay. Yeah. Okay. All right. All right. It's not like a hyperspace type thing. Gotcha. You just boom and you're there. It's it, yeah. They call it blinking for yeah. a reason. I did notice the the use of the term sublight speed at, at a couple points in here. I was like, okay, that makes sense. But still, they'd be dealing with with relative time then. Like that's I haven't seen any. Of course, but he, as Gene pointed out, it is rare to be traveling, the, you know, at that kind of velocity without going over the speed of light. So okay. Like if it's rare, I'll give it a pass. I just you know, I, was, yeah. I was thinking this was ubiquitous, and people are just going to be not aging at the speed that they should. And I'm like, how is society dealing with that? Okay, I get. I get but you. related related to your point, um, yeah, like the, some of the terminology and the scientific slip ups, they do exist. But to counterbalance all that, at least he tries. No, he did very good. That's kind of my point. Is like I mean, you know, there's a there's so much sci-fi that we're so used to, yeah. Star Wars. <laughs> we're just it's fantasy, not sci-fi. Just impossible things happen all the time in space because no one bothered to pick up an elementary physics book, and it just pisses me off. But Donaldson <laughs> tries to get it right. I yeah. and he's not always successful, but. Damn it! You know, effort counts for something in my uh, book. Hey, <laughs> hey! I, I prefer an amateur breakdance to an expert waltz. Does that make sense? I much right. uh, I've never seen try. I don't. I don't agree. I don't but... agree, but I get it. <laughs> <laughs> I want to see them. Try. Hey, Donaldson's do, is knocking it out of the park, as far as I'm concerned. I mean, he can't help you know with some of his terminology because there's nothing else he could have done. Tape would just be a word that he would have mm-hmm. to use. You know, yeah. I think he's doing about as well as as it can be done. So far. I haven't read the rest. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Oh, hey, there's a, a thought that Morn had in Chapter 4 when she's thinking about why she became a cop. Because she wanted to dedicate herself to the causes and ideals of the UMCP, perhaps covertly because she wanted to avenge her mother. You'll wrote, get more. I wrote that down. Well, that's juicy. I want to know more about that, but I don't want to know right now, so this gets a stamp of approval for me. I think... That was deftly done on Donaldson's part. Yep. Yeah, you've got too many other urgent yeah, things right now to go into. I got a whiff of that in the kitchen, but I'm dealing with what's on my plate right now. Yeah. 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 Uh, oh, why? Gee, do you have anything else? Uh, no, I'm rereading it. Now, I read it when it came out. Um, so I was, you know, I was waiting uh for the fourth and fifth book, which had not been published when I first started reading it. And I Oof. Really looked forward wow. to them and really enjoyed them. That would suck I can't so imagine much. waiting for those. <laughs> yeah, and it was a pretty long wait, as I recall. I mean, it was very long ago now. but uh, So, yeah, and I just reread Forbidden Knowledge again in preparation for this, and I would like to read The Dark and Hungry God Arises. It's not available anywhere. You can only get it as an e-book. It would just... Yeah. This is this is a disgrace. Yeah, uh, yeah. I um, I dude. own all five hey, in hardcover. Hey, I should I, say, yeah, we own all five. I, <laughs> I bought them when we started well, reading this. We the two of us together were scouring up and down used bookstores along the front range of the Rockies in Colorado and found all five. Or excuse me, only found four, and I had to order one off of eBay. Right. Um, oh. But it, yeah, they were they were very difficult to find. That tells me this. Yeah, this series, if that's the case, is criminally underrated. That yeah. is accurate. Absolutely criminal. Like yeah. authors churning out 
bilge by the hundreds of thousands of copies. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and yet this magnum opus. It's not often I get to use the word bilge. I like it. Yeah. yeah. Well, I have books four and five, but I don't have two and three. Um, so really? I'll trade you. Ooh. If I if I may, I'll trade you Forbidden Knowledge, which I just finished. For a dark yeah, and hungry yeah, god arises. I'll, uh, I'll make sure the and I'll uh, take dark very... and hungry god arises finds its way across town to you. Thank <laughs> you. Setting up deals on the Inky Aloud podcast. I like it. There we go. Yeah, yeah, clandestine uh, dealings is very much in keeping with the spirit of the endeavor. Good point. Good point. Thematically appropriate. <laughs> yeah, if you know, if I remember right, Gene, you were the one who introduced us to this series. Yes. And we, oh. I don't remember what book series we were on, but you said you need to read this next. Oh, cool. Uh, so actually, I do remember when this was back in the day, Pat, when we had our book group. Yes. Yes. And we were deciding what to read next, and we put a vote up uh, for the group, and it was between Heroes Die and The Real Story. <laughs> And we chose Little the right we one. Know. <laughs> well, we no, we we ended up reading both, uh, but I believe we chose the gap cycle first. And on yes. Gene's recommendation, yeah, on on because yeah. it, as an act of divine providence, <laughs> we got the better series. <laughs> nice. <sighs> I'm. I think I I think I agree with you. I think I like the gap cycle more, but it's not by much. And here we are, 119 episodes into Inking Out Loud, and we are there. Yes. Yeah. And we've already covered the Acts of Cain. Oh, yeah. Near the beginning, didn't we? Yeah. Damn, it's been a while. Uh, just about, I believe, in fact, two years ago, on this day, we were probably recording uh, an Acts of Cain episode. It was April and May of 2019. My wow. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Well, time flies when you're from, getting uh, older. <laughs> from Jordan Con at the end of April to record Kane Blackknife. <laughs> well, that was a ride. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah. My, my, my very last miscellaneous point that I just want to draw, like, as much as I hate Nick, I have to admit he's got some badass moments, and I hate admitting that, but when he stumbles upon Orn, forcing himself upon Morn, which is kind of... Anyway, uh, clear the mess. <laughs> We're going to need some room. That line was so badass and so chilling. It was, it was, a, it was a very, very wonderful character moment. I will say. Yeah, like huh? him when Morn gets to him. I think it happens twice, and the look he gives her of like, "You won, but you're not gonna live through it." Just ugh. yeah. Yeah, he can't allow her to win. He no, can't. No, well, he can't allow himself his, to lose. His life, That's his reputation, thing. and he sees his reputation as his life. That depends on him not letting somebody beat him. It's so yeah. dis despicable. It's so despicable. So, last miscellaneous thing is the first time I read this, I couldn't stop thinking about the idea of the Amniani and transformation of humanity and just taking over but this time around i can't stop thinking about the possibilities of a zone implant and what you could do for yourself with it it's not worth it lauren don't yeah don't give like, in 
Like, it's so horrifying to consider that kind of control over another human being. But what you're not expecting for expecting is to be horrified by that level of control over yourself. Yeah. yeah. That is... You, it's uh, very that, tempting. That is the next step that I wasn't prepared to hate or be scared I don't, of. Yeah. You can call me cynical if you want, but I don't think many people in this world are prepared for seeing themselves with a great deal more power than they currently have. And all the ugly things they would do the second they had the chance. Yeah, I, I agree. Well, what and that's would one of the reasons why I think uh, The Axe of Cain is a brilliant series, because it, it forces you into those shoes to confront what you would do. Mm-hmm. As much yeah. as we love pleasure, what would happen if it was all we had? Yeah. How, how long yeah. would it take us to hate it? Yeah. I I guess I didn't think about the... I haven't really thought about the pleasure side, but I've thought about the overcoming basic needs like <laughs> sleep. <would>. <laughs> and, this is my wife who works two jobs and has at times in her life been working like 70-hour weeks. And, that's uh, nuts. What... Yeah, what could I do if I wasn't tired mentally or physically? Like, what could I accomplish? Not, like, I'm not thinking about the other aspects. I'm just thinking about, like, what what could I make myself yeah. do? And then, then you would t- start losing your mind as you got more and more competent, and then it would lead to a really cool sci-fi movie. That, like, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm too tired to consider the question. <laughs> yeah. Uh. Nice. Well, uh, do we have any more miscellaneous points, or I'm shall done. we move to the final draft? I'm ready. Move to the final draft. All right. Rob, do you want to kick us off? Yeah. I mean, uh, I'm drinking very cold coffee that I made with almond milk and sweetener, and I would not recommend it, but it has <laughs> caffeine, and that is enough for today. The, the, I will say that the brand of the coffee is Tim Hortons coffee, but it's just the, the, the grounds that you buy to bring home and make in the... In the coffee maker. But at this point, it's cold, and it's got a skim on it, and it's got the sweetener, and it's made of almond <laughs> milk. And it's not particularly appetizing, but it does have caffeine, so I'm obviously going to continue. But that is my terrible entry for the final draft for today. I've just got some cold coffee. Uh, Pat, what about you? I am uh, oh. coffee brothers with Rob oh. on, this, uh, on this day. Y- you can't ask me after like working a nine-hour day. To come on an episode and and drink some booze because I would fall asleep on you. Sure, fair enough. <laughs> uh, Gene, what about you? Well, I have very pedestrian prosaic iced tea with no <laughs> sugar. I'm sorry, I didn't realize I was supposed to be drinking something. I oh, hey, that sounds better than uh, next time. Coffee. Yeah. Next time, I'll try to do something um, less predictable. <laughs> me, me, and oh, you both. Uh, Gene. Wh- whatever you desire. I love good coffee. I love good booze. I, in fact, I love iced tea. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, Lauren and I are drinking the same beer. We're we're splitting the beer because you cannot drink this by yourself. Yeah, this this would be a, a tough thing to do. <laughs> you underestimate um, my power. Uh, we are drinking a beer from Anchorage Brewing Company again. The, Anchorage, the, uh, okay, okay. Uh, old old reliable. This is a double-oaked vanilla bean barley wine aged seven months in Woodford Reserve double-oaked barrels and six months in Elijah Craig whiskey barrels 
finished on Madagascar vanilla. 17% alcohol by volume. Wow. That's why I said. <laughs> it is freaking delicious. Oh, it's so good. But you need to. This is this is a unless you're gonna take hours. This is strong. Just it like, looks as dark as Nick's scars. So yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah, it looks like wine. It looks like the ambient amount of light in your room just vanilla. went down when you poured it. Oh, just delicious. But as as is appropriate, the name of this beer, which fits for. I don't even know how many different decisions made in in the first half of this book. It is called A Deal with the Devil. Oh. Uh, (laughs) 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 Okay. Check and mate. Nicely done. A Deal with the Devil. Yeah. So this has been... uh, What did you say, Rob? This was was 119. Absolutely. It's it's getting deep in to the point that I'm starting to lose track. Yeah. But hey, I, mean, I have to open the uh, spreadsheet every time I write my intro at this point. Yeah. Yeah. But next up, we will be finishing off book two of the Gap Cycle, Forbidden Knowledge. As always, if you want to support the show, check us out on Patreon at patreon.com slash inkingoutloud. Get access to a whole bunch of bonus content. Check it out there. I have been your host, Drew McCaffrey. And with me is my co-host, Rob Santos. Right here. And our special guests, Patrick McCaffrey. So long. Gene McCaffrey. Thanks for having me. And Lauren McCaffrey. Thanks, guys. And in case our listeners haven't been able to tell yet, there are a lot of McCaffreys, and they all read. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Yep. I've met several, so we'll meet more. It's just the kind of class that we possess as a family. Yeah, yeah. So, thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time. Toodles. Adios. Adios.